0: This episode was recorded before the FTC's non-compete ban comment period closed on April 26th. For the latest updates on the status of the proposed non-compete ban, please visit natlawreview.com.
1: Hello and welcome
0: to Legal News Reach, the official podcast for the National Law Review. Stay tuned for a discussion on the latest trends in legal marketing, SEO, law firm best practices, and more. Thank you for
1: tuning into the Legal News Reach podcast. My name is Shelby Garrett, a Publication Specialist with the National Law Review. And in this episode, I will be speaking with Rachel Green, an employment and whistleblower attorney at Katz Bank Human. Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about your background in legal and what led you to pursue a career in law?
0: Sure. And thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I actually decided to be an attorney back in college. I was an activist and I was involved with survivors of sexual violence. And I started to get frustrated with the limitations in activism and recognized that being an attorney would offer me an opportunity to help them in a different way. After law school, I worked in San Francisco doing class action tort litigation. Then I clerked for Judge David Hamilton on the Seventh Circuit. And now I'm an associate at katz fanks in Washington, D.C., And here I represent primarily survivors of sexual violence and of workplace sexual harassment, as well as folks who have experienced discrimination, harassment, retaliation in the workplace, whistleblowers. And we also represent people when we're negotiating severance agreements, non-competes, and other similar employment agreements.
1: Awesome. Today, we're going to be talking about the FTC proposal to ban non compete So, when we're looking at this FTC proposal to ban non-competes, could you give us an idea of the restrictions that currently exist at this moment on a federal level?
0: Sure. And maybe if I can provide a little bit of background on what a non-compete is. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, sure. So, a non-compete, you know, it's a widespread, often exploitative practice through which an employer limits an employee's ability to compete with their former employer during or after employment. And studies have shown that non-competes suppress wages, hamper innovation, block entrepreneurs from starting new businesses. And most recognizably, they restrict workers from moving to a new job. And this can be devastating. Workers that are bound by non-competes might not be able to move to a better paying job, but they also might not be able to get a new job to escape from an abusive boss or from illegal harassment. Even they might be prevented from finding employment after being retaliated against for reporting illegal activity. So that's sort of what a non-compete is and why a lot of folks are excited about this announcement that the FTC made in January. And to answer your question, currently, There are no federally applicable restrictions on non-competes, and so this area of law is governed state by state, which is complicated, of course. Many employers have offices and employees in multiple states, and some employees themselves work in multiple states for the same employer. So this patchwork system is really difficult for both employees and employers.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for providing that additional context to going into this. That'll be very helpful. You mentioned that right now it's on the state level. Looking at states, what is the range of restrictions? Are there some states that have no restrictions on non-competes? Could you give us a little bit of information about
0: that? Yeah, there's quite a range. To start with the strictest states. Some examples of some of the states with the strictest laws that do ban non-competes include California, Oklahoma, both of those states and a few others, ban non-compete clauses with a few narrow exceptions. So for example, California, the exceptions in California are, you know, non-competes are enforceable when they involve a sale of a business. So if a seller is preventing someone from opening a competing business in the same area as the original business, or like a sale of shares of an LLC or dissolution of a partnership. So not really affecting your typical worker. So therefore the California and Oklahoma bans are pretty strict and robust. And then I I would say the next tier is a non-compete ban that has some sort of carve out for categories of workers who can still be subject to non-competes or a carve out with like a salary threshold. So folks above a certain salary can still be subject to non-competes. Examples of those include Colorado. There's a salary threshold there of about 100,000 annual compensation. If you make more than that, you could still have to sign a non-compete. Illinois also has a salary threshold. I think it's about 75,000. Maryland has a threshold about 31,000. Virginia defines low-wage employee as basically making less than the average weekly wage in Virginia. And then DC, where I live and practice, recently passed a non-compete ban that also has a salary threshold and carves out particular types of employees. So I would say that's sort of the next category. Then along the scale, there are some states like Massachusetts that Permit non competes for a limited period of time, like 12 months. Mm -hmm. And some, Massachusetts also does this, require what's called a garden leave clause, which requires that the employer pay the worker for the time of the non compete a certain salary. You know, in Massachusetts, it's at least half of the worker's highest salary from the last two years, um, or some other consideration that benefits the worker. So those states. They're basically paying the employee for having to be restricted by the non-compete. And then in many other states, though, there is no statutory ban or statutory codified limitation prohibiting non-competes or categories of non-competes. But even in those states, courts have increasingly disfavored them. So in Tennessee, for example, just to, to have an example Courts in Tennessee have held that a non-compete has to be supported by some sort of consideration, that the employer has to have a business interest that can only be protected by the non-compete. And courts often consider reasonableness in the duration of the non-compete and in the scope. But again, it's not codified. It's common law. So ultimately, as you can tell, we have this patchwork of laws, this mix of statutory and common law across the states which, as I said before, can be really complicated given that so many employers and employees work and live across multiple states. So it's hard to determine what applies and it becomes complicated, especially for your lay employee who's not probably paying that much attention to what they can be subject to.
1: Right. Are there states then that have like no time limit at all for non-compete restrictions
0: like post-employment? Yeah, so the states that don't have a particular codification like some of the ones that I listed that do, like D.C. specifically says only in certain circumstances can there be a non-compete. If there's no codified law limiting it, most courts do analyze whether or not it's reasonable. And so if someone had no time limit in their non-compete and they wanted to dispute that, depending on what state they're in, they probably could. And a court would probably look at whether or not the terms lack of time limit, lack of geographic limit, things like that are typically found to be unreasonable, but obviously it depends. And with this patchwork set of laws, it'll be quite variable state to state. Right.
1: And not everybody has access to, or like the funds to afford an attorney. So with the DC non-compete ban, or I guess restrictions, how has the reception been?
0: It's a great question. So a little bit of background on the DC non-compete ban. The law that recently went into effect is sort of a walk back from the original law that was passed. The DC Council passed a more restrictive ban that did not include a salary threshold and did not exclude as many types of employees as the one that has ultimately been passed. And there was a lot of pushback from employers and other interest groups. And there were several amendments that were proposed and ultimately what I would view as this walkback version of the ban was passed. So given that employers largely feel that this new version is a little bit more responsive to their interests and protective of employers, particularly, again, those who have employees who make above the salary threshold, I think employers in general have been pretty happy, comparatively happy, I'll put it that way, to where they were before. But folks who represent employees and employees themselves in D.C., see that as a loss. By definition, there are fewer people who are protected by the ban than there were under the original language. And so the feedback is mixed because folks who support the walk back, I'll call it that, are more pleased than they were previously. But it is a loss to employees, in particular those above that threshold and in the categories of employees that are excluded under the new language.
1: That absolutely makes sense. When we're looking at the proposed ban from the FTC, what would that involve? Like, How much do we know? I know we're still working on it, but how much do we know right now?
0: Yeah. So all we have right now is the proposed rulemaking, the language that the FTC released. And that doesn't necessarily mean that will be what the final rule is, but we can talk about that more in a little bit. But according to the language in the FTC's proposed rulemaking, this rule would ban almost all non-compete clauses. And it has a pretty broad definition of a non-compete clause. It just says it's a contractual term between an employer and a worker that prevents the worker from seeking or accepting employment after their employment with the employer. So it's pretty broad. Again, similar to the California, Oklahoma type of state non-compete bans, this FTC rule has a very narrow exception. The ban doesn't apply to selling businesses or business entities under limited circumstances. So there are some exceptions, but quite narrow, and again, would not affect the vast majority of individual workers. And so this national non-compete ban would therefore be broader than almost any existing state non-compete ban, which of course is great news for employees and workers.
1: I know this is like a really hot topic right now because we've been publishing so many articles about it what would the impact be like for employers and employees? Is there,
0: along with that question, is there an expected timeframe for compliance? As for why is it such a hot topic? I mean, again, this rule would be just a nationwide sea change in employment relationships. It could potentially affect every employer and employee as written. There's no limitation. There's no exception of categories of workers. There's no salary threshold. So it could be I mean, it could be huge. It could affect millions and millions of people. And as far as timeline, that's a great question. So the proposed rule says that after the final rule is published, I believe it says 180 days until compliance is required. And so, you know, about half a year until compliance is required. But it's not clear and it's really hard to estimate how long from now until a final rule. And that's because right now, the notice and comment period that the FTC has to participate in as an agency is open until April 19th. And they have extended that a few times already. So they might extend it again. And during that period, anybody, you, me, organizations, employers, employees can submit a comment to the Federal Register supporting or opposing or commenting in general about this proposed rulemaking. And then the FTC, after the conclusion of that, notice and comment period, which again is currently set to end April 19th. After that, the FTC reviews all of the comments, makes potentially edits to the language, and then issues a final rule. But it's sort of a black box. How long does that review and editing process take? So 180 days doesn't start until after the issuing of a final rule, but we don't really know how long it will be until then.
1: Awesome. So big TBD. So are there any sectors where this change could be more impactful than others?
0: So yes. And as a little bit of preliminary background, the FTC in its proposed rulemaking estimates that one in five American workers, which is about 30 million workers, are bound by a non-compete clause right now. And the research cited by the FTC states that both high and low wage workers alike are subject to these restrictions. And so given that this rules language is arguably broader than any existing state non-compete ban or partial ban, this language could reach the broadest possible swath of workers. So it affects everybody. But again, the one important difference from existing state bans, so those states that we discussed earlier that do have bans or partial bans, a lot of them carve out specific types of employees or even employers. For example, some states carve out governments as employers. There's no carve out in the FTC proposed rule. And it also defines worker very broadly and explicitly includes folks like independent contractors, externs, interns, volunteers, apprentices. And again, many of those state bans exclude one or more of those types of workers. So they stand to really win from this type of rule. And for for an example, I guess the recent non-compete ban in D.C. excludes specifically volunteers, babysitters, broadcast employees, again, that has the salary threshold. So this national ban has none of those exclusions and provides for no exemptions. It's just a flat out ban of all non-compete clauses, regardless of their compensation or their profession. So, again, compared to this existing patchwork of state laws, it will impact workers of all kinds at all levels of impact reaching this broadest possible swath of workers. But I think the folks that stand to win the most from this are those that are currently excluded from even the protections provided in those states that do provide protections.
1: That's interesting, I hadn't considered volunteers being impacted by not complete. Yeah, that's really interesting. Is this going to have any impact on any other
0: employment agreements? So this is where we will have to watch what happens after the close of the notice period. I'm gonna be very interested to see what the final rule language is. The FTC has been receiving feedback from employers and their lobbyists expressing concern about the potential impact of this rule and its broad language on other types of employment agreements. And the FTC might amend its proposed rule to clarify its intended application, but we just don't know yet. So I'll talk a little bit about how the rule as written might affect them, but I'm really going to be interested to see what the final rule says. So the FTC knew that this rule might be applied to other types of agreements, and it included in the language of the rule what it called a functional test. And the language says that this functional test should be used to determine whether a contractual term is a non-compete clause. And it says that a term in a different contract might be a de facto non-compete if it has what the rule states is an effect of prohibiting the worker from seeking or accepting employment After working for the employer, and it provides a couple of examples. So one that might be helpful is it says, as an example, is a non-disclosure agreement written so broadly that it effectively precludes the worker from working in the same field. That might constitute a non-compete, even though it's technically called a non-disclosure agreement. Another example the FTC provided is a term that requires the worker to pay the employer for training costs if the worker's employment terminates within a particular time period, where that payment is not reasonably related to the cost that the employer incurred for training the worker. So again, that's not called a non-compete, but the FTC says that might constitute a de facto non-compete. And so under this functional test, it's conceivable that non-disclosure agreements, non-solicitation agreements preventing employees from soliciting former or current clients of the employer, and other forms of employment contracts might constitute prohibited non-compete agreements. But from my perspective, ultimately, if employers craft their employment agreements carefully and tailor them to their legitimate business interests, my understanding of the scope of this FTC's proposed rule is that it should be limited to a ban of de facto and clear non-compete clauses. And Chair Lena Kahn, in her statement in support of this rule, Chair Lena Kahn of the FTC, she stated that the rule was not intended to invalidate all non-solicitation agreements. And she even specifically said employees employers still have contractual methods to protect their client lists under the proposed rule. And I guess one final thing, it's worth noting that many employers are complaining publicly about how the FTC's rule might impact their trade secrets. That's like a catchphrase right now. But the proposed rule clearly and explicitly states that the non-compete ban does not apply to trade secret protections. And just to note, employers still have access to the Federal Defend Trade Secrets Act and the Uniform Trade Secrets Act, which has been adopted by 47 states and D.C. Both of those separately provide for civil actions for trade secret misappropriation and trade trade secret theft is also a federal crime under the Economic Espionage Act. Also, intellectual property law provides significant legal protections for trade secrets. And so this proposed rulemaking does not weaken or threaten existing trade secret protections. And it might Affect other employment agreements, but again, those that are de facto non competes, which should arguably fall under a non compete ban.
1: Awesome. I feel like I've learned so much already (laughs) from talking to you. And I'm like excited to like re listen to the podcast so that I can like take more time to absorb everything. This is awesome. So we have the comment period set to end on April
0: 19th. What would the next steps be if it does end on April 19th? so that is when the ftc begins to review the comments and i haven't checked in a couple of weeks but there are thousands of comments so i'm sure they're just continuing to flow in and it's not really clear how long the ftc will take i know for other rules and other agencies it's usually a couple of months but it could take longer it could be shorter i have no idea how many resources they intend to devote to this but that's the next step is they'll be reviewing the comments making edits to the extent they decide to. And then eventually they will announce the final rule and whatever is in the final rule does not take effect until 180 days after that date of publication. So those are the next steps.
1: Awesome. And along with that, we have some legislation in Congress, the proposed Workforce Mobility Act. How is that going to work along with us?
0: The Workforce Mobility Act, as currently proposed in the Senate, would essentially codify the meat of the FTC's proposed rule. It would narrow... use of non-competes to permit them only in very narrow instances like the dissolution of a partnership or sale of a business, the same thing that we discussed before. It would also charge the FTC and the Department of Labor with enforcement of the act and create a private right of action in federal court. But again, the bulk of the act as written is essentially to ban non-competes nationwide. So it does mainly the same thing as the FTC proposed rule. And I'll note that as many who are opposed to the FTC proposed rule have discussed any final rule that the FTC issues is likely to face legal challenges. And one of the first challenges is certain to be an argument that the agency lacks the power to regulate non-compete so broadly on such a wide ranging scale. And for just a tiny bit of background, the FTCA gives the FTC the power to prevent what are called unfair methods of competition. And in its proposed rule, the FTC says it defines non-compete clauses as unfair methods of competition, which arguably brings non-competes under the FTC's enforcement power. But opponents are likely to challenge that definition, whether or not non-compete clauses actually are unfair methods of competition, such that the FTC is able to ban them on a national scale. So given that background that this final rule, ho- however it, uh, it ends up being, the FTC is likely to be gonna be challenged in court. It's helpful if Congress sort of simultaneously moves forward with federal legislation, providing comparable prohibition of non-compete clauses, and again, charging the FTC with enforcement of that law. It would be excellent if this act gets through.
1: What are the next steps for the Workforce Mobility Act? Where is it at right now?
0: So in February, I think it was February 1st, Senators Chris Murphy of Connecticut and Todd Young of Indiana, they reintroduced the act. And I believe the same day it was referred to the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions in the Senate. Ultimately, hopefully, the next step would be for it to come up for a vote before the Senate. And if it passes, it would then go to the House for a vote. And if it passes there as well, go to the president for his signature before becoming law. So there's sort of a long road. It's not, I mean, I wish it were that simple, but it's not. But if all of you know the ducks get lined up, it would be an excellent piece of legislation that again would bolster employees and their abilities to move from one workplace to another more freely nationwide.
1: As we're coming to a close here, are there any final thoughts that you would like to share with us?
0: I mean I just like to repeat that the notice and comment period now closes April 19th and it's really important for everyday people businesses law firms to express their support for the proposed rule and I you know I don't want to discourage people from expressing their opposition this is one of these really interesting opportunities that we have in this country to weigh in on proposed rulemaking introduced by our agencies so It's really important for people who care about this proposed rulemaking to share what they think about it. And we have until April 19th to do so. And where can our
1: listeners find you?
0: I regularly post blogs on my firm's website, Cats Banks about a variety of legal topics that affect employees. And I'll also note that on behalf of my firm and with support of my colleagues, we've drafted a comment that is in support of the proposed rulemaking, which we will submit by the close of the notice period. And if folks are interested in joining as a signatory, they're welcome to reach out to me. My email's on our website, Katz Banks uh And that's where I, I can be found. Awesome. I appreciate the opportunity to come and speak. This has been really wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. We really appreciate
1: you taking the time to share your insight with us. You did, I mean, an amazing job just taking a really complex subject and taking it down to my level, at least. So I really appreciate that. And then thank you, everyone who is listening. Hope you have an amazing day.
0: Thank you for listening to the National Law Review's Legal News Reach podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes for the latest legal news or if you're interested in publishing and advertising with us visit www.natlawreview.com we'll be back soon with our next episode